0: Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Invisibility Today podcast. I'm your tiny disabled host, Laura Elliott. This month, I'm happy to introduce you to Sally Callow, an ME patient and advocate who's here today to talk about fundraising with the ME Association, the importance of breaking down stigma around this illness and her new social enterprise to train medical professionals and health workers in how best to support their ME patients. Welcome to the show, Sally. Thank you. Um, So first off, let's
1: start with the basics. What exactly is ME?
2: ME is a severely debilitating neurological condition uh, that affects 250,000 people here in the UK and 17 million people worldwide. They're very low estimates. Um, Statistics aren't really available, so the numbers could well be a lot higher than that.
1: And you've had ME for nine and a half years, you said, or is that just until the diagnosis?
2: Yeah, I've had the symptoms for about 12 years, uh, but I was diagnosed nine, over nine years ago. Mm. Um, But it took me until I started my advocacy to actually understand the illness, uh, because I was pretty much diagnosed and just left to my own devices once I'd had talking therapies like CBT. So, yeah, so I talked to other sufferers who seemed to know a heck of a lot more about the illness, uh, about the medical jargon. Um, and stuff, because I've never actually had anything explained to me by a medical professional.
1: It seems to be a problem as well. It's such a misunderstood illness by the medical profession, and talking therapies seem to be the only treatment that's offered, even though it's a physical illness.
2: Yeah, so I've had CBT, and through that I learned about pacing. Where you uh, So imagine your energy is a battery. You're supposed to keep it around half full so you don't go flat. Um, You'll never get up to the top of the battery. That's just not how ME works. Um, so I've learned to try to not push myself too hard, which is all great in theory. But when you're running a, a quite a few little mini Emmy-related organisations, it's a little bit tricky. Um, but yeah, so talking about it might actually help with the mood side of it and actually helping you to manage it and regulate slightly. But in terms of treatment, it doesn't actually help my ME in the slightest.
1: And this uh, this was debated in the House of Commons recently as well, because it's they're looking at changing the guidelines, aren't they, um, for yes. UK treatment. That seems to have come about mostly through direct action campaigning by patient groups.
2: Yes. The ME Association in particular, I know there's been quite a few involved, but obviously because I've been involved with the ME Association, um, I've, I've seen their side of it. Um, but they've basically concluded that CBT and graded exercise therapy, so GET, don't have a massive effect on ME as a treatment, um, and it's highly controversial. They're basic, with GET, they're basically saying that um, increasing our level of activity helps our ME Well, on a very basic, very simplistic level, we are allergic to exercise. So how on earth does improving, sorry, increasing our exercise improve our ME? It just doesn't make sense on any level. And I think they're trying to say that the PACE trial was actually flawed research. That's where the NICE guidelines need to be reviewed because, because of that PACE trial, Uh, GET therapy is offered around the world and thousands of ME sufferers are actually being made worse because doctors um, go by the NICE guidelines and suggest improving exercise. And in some cases, healthcare insurance companies refuse to support the people that have paid their premiums for years and years and years unless they undertake GET um, first. So it's all a bit not good um and it's still ongoing but like you say it was debated in parliament and we've got to wait and see what happens with that i've put yeah i've personally no one actually said the words graded exercise therapy to me but every time i went to my gp they said oh you've got depression as well which i do we suggest if you go increase your exercise every day that will boost your mood and your activity level will increase so they kind of did it on a subtle basis instead of saying we recommend graded exercise therapy so yeah was kind of done through the back door I tried it I go through periods of remission where I can do more exercise but more often than not I can manage probably a 10 minute walk and then I have to rest a lot afterwards
1: yeah absolutely I got the very similar I got um It's anxiety, which I still say I didn't have, but they said, oh, you're anxious. That's why you're ill. Go out, go do some exercise. And when I said, oh, I I can't really I can't really leave my house. um, My neurologist looked at me and said, well, you can't just stay inside forever, can you? And I was like, well, I'm trying not to, but it would be really good if you actually gave me a treatment. That would be really helpful for me. Um, It it seems to be a really similar story for so many people who have ME or associated syndromes, because it seems there are a lot of co-occurring illnesses as well alongside people who have ME. I'm thinking POTS and mast cell and hypermobility. um, Fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia, absolutely. But there doesn't seem to be, like you say, the PACE trial um, was quite damaging. Um, I think a lot of experts have just sent a letter to the Lancet signing it saying they think the PACE trial was really flawed. But as a result, we've not had any appropriate research. So everyone's just left to wait, I suppose.
2: Yes. And I think that pretty much sums up what's going on at the moment. It's just waiting. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, we're waiting for research funding, waiting for people to acknowledge the fact that we need research. Um, I heard the other day somebody said, well, of course it's psychological because there's no biomarkers. The reason, um, well, there's a couple, aren't there? I think they found abnormalities in the brain and in the blood, but they're looking for more uh, to prove that it is. I mean, the ME Association say it's a physical illness. I believe it's a physical illness, as do if, does everybody that's got ME. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we're waiting for research funding. Um, And until people realise that it is a physical illness and not... I know there's this big surge in um, supporting mental health at the moment, but that's still got a massive stigma attached to it. And so not only do we have an illness that's recognised as a mental illness by probably a lot of the general public um, and many doctors, so we're fighting against that when we've got major physical symptoms So we're just waiting, waiting for effective treatment, waiting for our GPs to take us seriously. Anyone that hasn't got ME will not understand what it feels like when you go to your GP and they look at you as if you're lying, that it's all in your head. One of the GPs that I've seen maybe five years ago actually said, well, I can see that you think this is your ME. If it's your ME, what exactly would you like me to do for you? Because there is no treatment. Now, if you put yourself... In my situation, hearing that when I'm having to drag myself out of bed, you kind of feel like you're going a little bit nuts. Why is no one believing that this is happening? And then the one person you go to for support, your immediate caregiver, if you like, doesn't believe you. And I know that my story is not a unique one. That's a very common story amongst ME sufferers.
1: Absolutely. And because most ME sufferers and most sufferers of autoimmune illness actually are women, Um, you find the pattern repeated as well in the sense of it being a mental illness or what they're calling it now, functional neurological disorder, a.k.a. conversion disorder or hysteria. And Mm -hmm. once you've had one of those things pinned onto you, as um, we'll probably talk about unrest in a little while, but Jennifer Breer's diagnosis initially was conversion disorder because they didn't believe it was a physical problem. And if that keeps getting replicated there's nowhere for patients to go
2: yeah sorry through <laughs> you were saying. it's
1: okay it's brain fog <laughs> uh, uh,
2: i was watching your mouth move and I was thinking <laughs> no sorry lost you
1: <laughs> no it's okay um, so for anyone listening this is a very well known symptom of me as well
2: yes brain fog which is probably at the moment the last 3 months or so cognitively I've gone downhill but I think that's purely because I've got so much going on there's only my ME brain can only cope with so much so conversations like this sometimes can be a bit of a struggle
1: (laughs) that's completely fine and you um, categorize yourself as a mild sufferer as well most of the time
2: I do I am starting to edge slightly towards moderate I am in no way house or bed bound let me make that clear Um, I can still push myself to leave the house, but, oh, it's a struggle. Um, I can still manage to go around supermarkets, but the lighting and just the noise and the whole experience still wipes me out. I had to rest an hour before speaking to you today because I went for a blood test earlier. Um, That involved going out in the car, walking from the car park. Not a lot of activity at all, um, but my battery, which I should be keeping half full, well and truly dipped nearly to flat earlier. (laughs) So um, so yes, so I've had to rest in order to do this podcast with you. Um, so anyone listening to this, I hope they realise that just a simple conversation takes a heck of a lot of effort because you've got to communicate. So you've got to, inter- your brain's got to interpret what's been said, what you're going to say, and then the physical action of actually moving my mouth and speaking also uses energy.
1: Absolutely. And uh, this is also part of what people don't understand about ME, that it's not just being tired
2: Oh, yes. That's before I started foggy, which I know we're going to get onto later. If anybody ever asked me what my illness was, I'd say, oh, I'm just tired all the time. I refuse to say that now. One, I'm kind of, oh, I've just got tiredness. I'm kind of belittling my own illness. Do you know what I mean by saying it's just? It's not. I've got 30 symptoms, including IBS, so brain fog, joint pain, I get post-exertion malaise, which is like the defining characteristic of ME. Headaches, migraines, dizziness, some off balance all the time. But if you're talking to Joe Public, or so, for example, when I have got the energy to go into a pub and somebody asks me about my advocacy and what ME is, what they tend to know about ME is the tiredness. They don't know about any of the other symptoms. So that's kind of what my advocacy is about, to highlight the fact there are 60-plus symptoms Not every sufferer has got the same symptoms, which is why it's incredibly difficult to diagnose. But as I said a minute ago, we have all got that defining characteristic of post-exertion malaise. So you don't feel tired immediately. Well, I guess you do. You do feel tired immediately, but then you know you're going to get hit 36 to 48 hours later as well. Not entirely sure about the science behind it because I don't do medical jargon. But, and I haven't got a biology degree, but I know that it's a fact. 36, 48 hours later, post-exertion, malaise will
1: kick in. And you were, you were talking about Foggy then, just for a second. So what kind of, what did you do with the ME Association? And tell me about what Foggy is. So,
2: how long ago now? Four years ago, I was still struggling to work full-time. Um, and I just had an idea to fundraise. Now, I can't, because I've got no energy, I can't do things like Uh, go for long walks or climb mountains or do marathons Um, somebody I knew was doing a bit of teddy sitting for another charity Um, I don't know if anyone's heard of Papa Smurf part of the Formula One community it's for a heart disease thing doesn't work in the same way that Foggy does but that's where I got the initial idea about sending a teddy around the world I used to have a dog called Patch and when it's a bit like uh, dogs can feel when someone's going to have an epileptic fit Uh, or a diabetes crash Um, my dog was incredibly clingy when i was going through an me crash so i thought well if i'm going to send a teddy it's got to be a dog and it's got to look like patch so i for weeks i was scouring ebay for a cheap and cheerful teddy found one and he's identical foggy is identical to patch called it foggy because of brain fog a lot of people think it's phileas fog and the traveling around the world no just happens to be the same name um yeah so then i contacted the me association and said I'd love to fundraise for you this is my idea i'm just going to send a teddy around the world and see if people engage with it they did it went slightly nuts i've done public speaking events been on the radio telly been all sorts of newspapers yeah it kind of got a bit big i did that for four years um and then i kind of felt like foggy had grown so much he's no longer a fundraiser it's more like an organization but without the structure behind it So yeah, so Foggy's continuing. Foggy fans out there. um, He's not going anywhere. He's going to start travelling the world again next month, I think. Just a few things on the horizon. And then next year, he's going on another world tour. But I'm in the process of setting up an ME training organisation off the back of it, because I'm now quite established as an advocate who raises awareness of ME in a a light-hearted kind of human perspective. Like I've hinted at, I don't do medical jargon, mainly because I don't understand it myself. So I wouldn't expect a non-sufferer or just a member of the general public who doesn't have a degree in health stuff. Um, And I think that's the best way to get them to engage with it. If you can explain it in a human way, they'll understand it more, which I think is why unrest works, because people can see humans experiencing it instead of listening to a conference with lots of medical jargon and reading about it lots of big long words that nobody understands so yeah so there's a couple of ME awareness and advocacy things going on that's very exciting
1: brilliant and so how much money did you raise with foggy so far
2: ten and a half thousand pound
1: see that's amazing
2: yeah well it is everyone says that to me but it's just because I know in year one I wanted to raise that and Uh, The last World Tour, I wanted to raise that in one year. That's taken me four years to do. Um, And the reason for that is because only the ME community and their friends and family understand what ME is. Only people with ME and the people I've just mentioned recognise that it isn't just a health problem, it's a political issue and a social issue. You need to address all three and people simply don't give money to something they don't understand. I'd say out of their £10,500, um, I'd say at least 8,000 of that was raised by the ME community. And given most of those are on disability benefit, I personally think it's absolutely appalling that we have to fund our own medical research. Sorry, and that's why I could have raised a lot more if it was a more well understood illness. But I'm very happy with the ten and a half thousand, but it's still a very long way to go.
1: Absolutely. And it's an ongoing problem. It's always patient groups and um, sympathetic researchers like Professor Ron Davies, um, whose son, Whitney, is obviously very unwell with ME in the States. They're the only people really fighting for this illness. And um, we mentioned unrest and uh Jennifer Breer's amazing documentary is also um there risen. I'm I, now I'm having brain fog. What's the word I'm looking for? Jennifer Breer's documentary. Raised, not risen. My past participles are going wrong. <laughs> Jennifer Breer's documentary has raised a huge amount of awareness along with the Millions missing campaign. Do you think that is changing attitudes? Do you do you see a change in people engaging with your work or with the ME Association in general?
2: Unrest has been phenomenal. I did my own screening in Portsmouth last November. Um, Again, the majority of people in the audience had ME or it was families of people that had ME. There were a number of non-sufferers there, but I don't think they engaged with it as significantly as people with ME, which I suppose is understandable. They're talking about our illness. Anyone that's got ME that's watched it has found it incredibly upsetting because it's like, oh, my God, that's me on the screen. Somebody can feel me. And it's, it's a very powerful film. And anyone that's listening that hasn't watched it, it's on Netflix. <laughs> Go and have a watch. Um I see on Twitter quite a lot of people say, oh, we're making such great improvements with awareness. And um, I don't know whether we are because mild sufferers like myself, which account for 75% of sufferers, when we're out and about and we're talking to people about our illness, I still get blank expressions. I still get complete misunderstanding, uh, judgment, stigma. So I think online people that are engaged with it engaged with millions missing and you know might donate to me charities and support the research and And these people are fantastic this isn't a comment about them um but i do think there is a they're in the minority Mm -hmm. i'd still say the majority of the people that we need to care about our situation because it's their money that is going to drive the research funding um they're still not engaging with it Mm -hmm. which is why i've now started to look to other ways to um, educate and to use my advocacy.
1: Absolutely, and you're um, setting up this new training uh, social enterprise. So, who is it targeted at? What are you hoping? What are you hoping to change with it?
2: I am targeting the people that should be supporting ME sufferers on a day to day basis. So that is now this is a big ask, but that is healthcare professionals who want to know what Emmy's like on a day to day basis, not what they can read in the Lancet. Business people, such as HR and occupational health, and education. Whether that's teachers, support staff, school nurses, they all need to know how can they support the ME sufferers that are under their care, in their care. Um, Yeah, so that's the aim. But obviously the big, you have to kind of do what are the limitations of it. The limitations are budget, can they afford the training, because I'm sorry, but the the way my business is going to work, it's a community interest company. The community I'm working hard for is the ME community. So 50% of my profits will go to medical research funding. Um, So I need people to pay for my training. So healthcare people who, many of whom, not all, I'm not stereotyping, many of whom don't believe ME is a real illness, would they pay for my training? Schools often don't have a budget to spare for things like that. So that's something I've got to work around. Um, And also HR and health. A few of my business friends have said, well, businesses will just not support. So that member of staff has to leave. Now, that's an incredibly cynical way of looking at it. But after talking to thousands of ME sufferers, that is what happens in the workplace because our symptoms fluctuate. Um, I'd love, I absolutely would love to still work full time. I did contemplate part-time, but my fluctuations might mean that I can only work two hours before I have to rest, and then I work another two hours slightly later. So if I was given the option to work from home or, you know, to be able to take regular rest breaks, I would have been able to continue staying in employment. But because that's often not available, I had to leave work, which is why I've up my own business, etc., etc. But there are ways that businesses can support ME sufferers. There's no need to say, oh, well, they can't do a set seven hour day anymore you just have to find ways to work around it and if you've got a highly skilled member of staff do you want to lose them because they can't fit in with your working pattern that's my opinion anyway so that's what I'm going to be working hard for I know that ME sufferers can't probably can't work full time there are some of them that have got very very mild symptoms that can work full time but there's also people that are having to force themselves to fit in with other people's working patterns and making themselves incredibly more unwell because of it so i am looking for other ways of raising money and that's how i'm going to be funding medical research now through the profits of my training organization
1: brilliant and you're looking to set up an online platform to run it aren't you
2: yes i am because i've got me myself and i might be able to deliver maybe one training session in person per week possibly but it's going to take three days for me to get over delivering half a day of training. So if I can create an e-learning platform, um, they can uh, access that whenever they like. obviously they've got to pay for the training, but they can access that whenever they like, they can fit that in around their working pattern and they can learn that way instead of relying on me delivering it face to face. Um, If I had the energy, I would. I'd go all around the country delivering training, but I'm not prepared to make myself bed bound to deliver training and uh yeah so it's going to be an epic uphill task but i'm up for it and i think the e-learning platform is definitely going to be the way forward and that's going to take quite a while to build but yeah i'm up for it
1: (laughs) (laughs) it sounds brilliant and like you say this is something people don't understand about me either you said i'm not going to risk making myself bed bound by doing too much and this is what happens and people who don't have me or don't know someone with me might think, oh, well, you're just tired, you know, go on, get on with your life. But if we do too much, the crash that can follow, you don't know how bad it's going to get or for how long.
2: Yeah, there's... um. So when we say that we've kind of reached our limit, we don't just mean, oh, I'm slightly sleepy. I personally stop functioning. So I can't think straight, I can't talk, my speech is slurred, I can't stand upright um that's orthostatic intolerance in case anyone's <laughs> wondering what that is where you feel like your head's a bowling ball on the top of a toothpick of a neck and just the weight makes you just want to lay down flat um yes yeah, so i literally feel like i've run the marathon without the marathon in between so like i one minute i'm at the starting line i've got the right amount of energy and literally 30 seconds later i feel like i've done a two and a half hour-long marathon and i just desperately need to lie down um and if you do push yourself too hard you do risk forcing your me to go from mild to severe um, and there are people out there that have been bedbound for decades i do not want to put myself at risk of that i don't think well nobody does but it seems really silly for me to be an me advocate and me to tell my followers to rest pace yourself take care of yourself don't risk making your health worse And then I'm doing the complete opposite myself. I'm not going to be any use to anybody if I can't communicate and I can't function. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the other reason why people find it hard to get their head around ME is this whole mindset of people with disabilities that are pushing themselves to excel, pushing themselves to climb mountains. So for example, um, people that have lost limbs. I, um, I have the utmost admiration for those people. However, we might all... Be known as having disabilities, but the, dis- but the disability is completely different. With me, I, if you don't have energy, you can't function. You can't do mind over matter to miraculously produce energy out of nowhere. You can't get additional energy. So um, I think the fact that there are so many wonderful people like uh, para Olympians and all that that work hard to overcome their disabilities, if you are simply unable to do anything because you need energy to do absolutely anything that you want to do as a human being I think that's one reason why the general public don't understand ME because they're like well hang on a minute that person's disabled and they've just climbed Everest and yet you're telling me you can't even get out of bed like there's some kind of disconnect Uh, with that thinking um so so the more we we kind of encourage a different way of thinking the better i think
1: yeah Yeah, and also that comes from i think it comes from that media narrative the only narrative of disability the media is really comfortable with is overcoming when in reality even the people who are you know excellent paralympians they're not overcoming their disabilities they're being exceptional with their disabilities And it's really, I think it's really important to say, like, you have to live within the limits of your disability and not all of them are the same. And ME has some very definable limits. When the energy runs out, you can't get it back like a person without ME. Yeah,
2: exactly. And I think the media especially like it when people with disabilities like to normalise, whereas ME people can't do that. I hate the word can't, but in our case, it applies. Um, You know, it just, it doesn't work. I can't come to my doctor's appointment today because I can't get out of bed. So if you say that to your doctor and your doctor is judgmental, how is that going to make you feel? It's like, don't get me wrong, not every ME sufferer has got depression. My depression actually kicked in a decade before I got ME, so it's not related. But a lot of people assume That ME patients all have depression. We might have low mood, but not necessarily depression. They're two different things. It's no wonder really that we have got a low mood, though, because every single thing that we need to be doing, we have to micromanage. We have to manage our energy levels to make sure that we can do it. And it's incredibly frustrating when you have to cancel. You know, I want to go and meet my friend for coffee. There was a possibility I'd have to cancel this podcast today because I wasn't feeling very well earlier. But luckily, I had a bit of an energy rush, um, and I've been able to do it but you can't there's people have missed out on weddings birthday parties graduation ceremonies um a funeral i've heard that somebody couldn't attend why would anyone miss that if unless they were absolutely 100 percent not able to attend
1: yeah and there's a real irony in um certain doctors blaming depression on these symptoms when actually the fact we have these symptoms and we're not being listened to and nobody's trying to find... Well, very few people are trying to find a cure or to find support for us. That will make you unhappy if you are isolated and there's no help coming.
2: Yeah, because it's never-ending. It's not, it's not like you have a cold or flu and you feel like absolute rubbish for a week, but you know... At the end of that week, you can go on and get on with your life. In fact, while you're in your bed with your cup of lemsip or whatever you take when you're not feeling very well, you'll probably messaging your friend saying, oh, I've got a bit of a bug at the moment. I'm in bed for a week, but I'll see you next week. We cannot do that. This is never ending. 350, I'll never remember how many days of the year there are, but every day of the year, uh, 24 hours a day we feel like rubbish, and then if our symptoms are flared, we just feel rubbish air. I know that's not a word. Um, But, yeah, and just that never-ending, constant horribleness um, is what makes ME such a unique illness. It's just constantly present there, and you can't do mind over matter. Mind over matter doesn't work with ME.
1: And I think the recovery rate is 5%, and we don't really know why.
2: Yeah, it always worries me when I meet people in person that say, oh, I had that years ago, got over it. And I'm like, okay. And then the next breath they say, I do have maybe once a fortnight a day where I feel really tired or I start losing my words. And it's like, oh, I don't say anything because I'm not a horrible person, but I just think you haven't you haven't recovered. You've just gone very, very mild mm-hmm. and you're managing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be very wary of anybody saying that they're fully recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, So, for example, there's 600 people in Portsmouth with ME. That's where I live. um, And I've met at least 50 people that have said they've recovered. That's not statistically correct, I don't think. Um, They do – but, you know, when you get into conversation with them, they do say, if I've, I don't know, moved house or if I've pushed myself too hard, I do have to rest for maybe a week after because I feel like my ME's coming back. And I'm like, well, you can't say you're recovered then. And then I also want – It doesn't make any difference to me whether they say they're recovered or not. I just want them to understand that they should still be taking care of themselves and not pushing themselves because do they really want to risk going backwards? I personally wouldn't. But at the same time, I do believe that if you're feeling well enough, you know, yes, make the most of the energy that you've got, but just be aware that if you do too much, um, there is the risk that you're not fully recovered and that you are going to get slightly worse again. So... It's scary, it's horrible, knowing how to balance it so that you don't push yourself too hard.
1: Absolutely. Um, so if listeners wanted to find out more about ME, where would you recommend they look? What kind of resources can they find?
2: Okay, well, obviously, look at Foggy's website, mefoggydog.org. Um, there are a range of charities out there. Um, I would go to the ME Association, Action for ME, Times Trust, specifically for children. Um, so for example if you've got a child that's at school and they've got in your child's got M um, E, the Times Trust will help you to work out how's best to make sure your child can still attend school, whether that's actually physically attending school or having work sent home. Um, Times Trust is a phenomenal um, charity, so I definitely recommend people go there. But yeah, it's mainly charities, unfortunately. They're the ones that seem to know the most about the illness.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, there's lots of the lots of people with ME are doing some brilliant advocacy. So we've got Jennifer Brea's Unrest as well. Yep. Uh, Jessica Taylor Berman's just released a Girl Behind Dark Glasses, I think, too. Yes. Which is severe ME. So as we said, it's the patients, the patients, are, patients and charities are pushing this forward.
2: Yes which yes it seems crackers to me but it's such a complex and unique illness I guess we kind of have to but we do need to start getting the wider community involved otherwise we're just never gonna um, progress really so the sooner we can smash through that stigma the better and that's the way that illnesses like HIV AIDS that's how they progress because they got people to understand what the need was and how that affects a person on a human level, which is kind of the way I'm going now. It's like we all know what our illness is like and we all know that it's absolute rubbish and that we need other people to engage with that.
0: That was Sally Callow talking about her work with ME and if you want to support her in setting up her new training course, you can find her fundraising page at www.crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash tackling the ME CFS issue. Now we come to our final section of the show, and this month we're shining some visibility on all things ME related. As mentioned, in literary and writing visibility, you can now order Jessica Taylor Behrman's book A Girl Behind Dark Glasses, detailing her battle with the severe form of ME, which she contracted when she was only 15. You can find the book via her website www.jt.co.uk or on Amazon. In fundraising visibility, you can support both Sally's training course, of course, and you can also donate to Emmy Research UK via their website at www.meresearch.org.uk. And as previously mentioned, you can watch Jennifer Brea's incredible documentary Unrest, which is on Netflix now, and you can also find the Newsbeat documentary Emmy and Me by UK sufferer Emma Donoghue online. If you want to find out more about how you can support the many sufferers of ME around the world, check out the ME Association or learn more about the Millions Missing campaign at www.meaction.net. For now, we've reached the end of the sixth Invisibility podcast, and I hope I'll be getting the next one out on time. If there's a disability topic, activist, creator, or news story you'd like to see featured here next month, you can contact me on Twitter at at @visibilitytoday or email visibilitytoday at gmail.com. For now, thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the end of September for another look at What's Invisibility Then?